1: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This is a CBC Podcast. Hey listeners, if you like our podcast, you should check out the Bechdel cast from How Stuff Works.
1: Each week, hosts Jamie and Caitlin and a special guest examine a popular movie like Star Wars, Jurassic Park, Black Panther.
2: And discuss its representation of women through a feminist
1: lens. They conclude each episode by determining if the movie passes the Bechdel test which requires that a movie has one, two named female characters, two, who speak to each other, and three, about something other than a man. Surprise, most movies don't pass. You can find The Bechdel Cast on your favorite podcast app or wherever you get Chosen Family. I'm Trana Winter. And I'm Thomas LeBlanc. Welcome, Welcome to, to Chosen, Chosen Family. Family.
0: We do create this really intimate world in our fittings, and you see the confidence and the insecurities, because these people are humans, and they're going out to this bizarre situation, and I'm giving them armor.
1: Carla Welch has been named the most powerful stylist by The Hollywood Reporter, and her fabulous roster of clients includes Justin Bieber, Sarah Paulson, Feist, and so many more, And we'll get to talk to her in a little bit about how fashion can be political and how I can take my personal style to the next level, hopefully.
2: And then we'll go from the red carpets of Hollywood to the jungles of Honduras with Quince Mountain. Quince is the first openly trans person to appear on the survival reality show Naked and Afraid.
3: I've dealt with... Some things that are really uncomfortable or even dangerous, like transphobia or trauma. So there's something just nice and relieving about being able to, like, make sure your fire's bright and look out for jaguars.
1: More from Quince later in the show.
2: So, Trena, um... There's something I've wanted to talk to you about, and I'm a, I'm a bit nervous.
1: Now I'm nervous. I know.
2: I'm making you nervous. Yes. <laughs> um. You're my friend. I love you dearly. Oh,
1: my God. Where is this? This is not starting off well.
2: So some days you have your makeup on, your hair is done, you look stunning, gorgeous, and ready for war. Right. And other days, I mean, you're more casual. You aren't wearing makeup. Your look is not as, like, done up. So... I wanted to know if you feel when you're interacting with people that there is a difference.
1: Oh, my God. What a question. That's like the biggest question of my life, you know, Um, because I don't feel any differently um, based on how I look. You know what I mean? And I think what we also forget is that, like, even Jennifer Lopez doesn't look like Jennifer Lopez without makeup and the whole glam squad. So there's this really, you know, unrealistic expectation that all women, cis and trans, are subject to about how we're supposed to look and how we're supposed to look a certain way all the time. You know, it's not really as discussed how much actual work goes into that. Because it's work.
2: It's work. And it's, you know, like I'm always so impressed because like if I'm asked to do a a, a five minute or 10 minute stand up set, I'm a cis gay man. I just show up. I do it. Like for you, it's like And I'm so jealous of that. I know. And for you, it's more time to prepare. It's the same pay. You're actually spending money getting ready because you have to put makeup on and you dress differently.
1: I think what makes my relationship to my appearance so challenging is that We've all been taught culturally to process and understand gender on a strictly visual level. So if someone looks female, that's a woman. If someone looks male, that's a man. And what I hate is that it puts me in this position where I have to sort of like constantly justify and explain my appearance to people. So like you mentioned, you know, even when it comes to work things— if we're just going to CBC to do an interview to promote an upcoming show, but they want us to be there in person, I don't feel like spending time doing my makeup because I just have to be on the radio for 10 minutes. So when I'm being booked for something like that, I literally have to tell the producer, like give them a warning basically and say, by the way, I won't be wearing makeup, but please know that my pronouns are female. And it makes me so uncomfortable to have to do that. I think for me, the ultimate question is, how much do I have to commit to an appearance to be understood?
2: A few weeks ago, we were on the show together. It was a queer show. Um, You were just like normal. Yeah, I wasn't wearing makeup. Yeah. And I sensed your, the vulnerability that I know of you as a friend. I felt that night in the room. But sometimes I feel that like, because you're, you have to put on this armor.
1: Right. I mean, on the couple of times that I have been on stage without wearing any makeup, obviously it's always been at queer shows. So I feel supported. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I can joke about it. Like I can get up on stage and just sort of address it very briefly. And then it's fine. We're all on the same page. Whereas I feel like showing up without necessarily looking like my most femme self in front of like straight cisgendered people, it'd be a lot more complicated to explain. But I think like, again, like my question for myself is just to what point as a trans person am I obligated to visually present as my gender? And I think that question, I think, is a question that even cis women ask themselves. Is like, is this really for me that I'm doing this? Or is this for other people so they can understand me and I can move through the world a bit more easily?
2: What do you think of the famous RuPaul saying that, you know, we're born naked and everything is drag?
1: Yeah, I think it's the truth. If I were able to deprogram everyone's understanding of gender, live in a world where I would be seen for who I am regardless of what I look like, I would still want to glam up sometimes. Like, I think it's fun, but it's fun when it's on my terms. It's less fun when it feels like an obligation i
2: agree with you recently at a show i was wearing like very heavy eye makeup and i know that you and our friends who are drag performers look at me like oh it's so cute it's like this guy <laughs> who's wearing makeup and well,
1: makeup is so
2: much fun yeah makeup is amazing i wish there was less stigma for men for using makeup or even like making bold fashion choices in general i'm i'm pretty conservative with fashion but I remember I was wearing a school uniform from kindergarten to the end of high school. It was basically a variation of the same thing. It was a a polo shirt. Like um, the, on top of the polo.
1: Like a cardigan?
2: A cardigan, some polyester pants. <laughs> so after high school, I went... Crazy Wearing all the colors. I would wear, like, turquoise, pink, blue, red. I was, yeah, for a few years. And now I mostly wear black. Yeah,
1: back to black. (laughs) I mean, you can't go wrong. I love, I think, like, 80% of my wardrobe is black. But I don't think black means boring. You know, like, I love different shades of black. There's Um, a a philosophy in the Vogue office. There's a philosophy against black. I know. Anna Wintour is very against black. (laughs) And there's this great scene in the September issue documentary where Anna is at the Yves Saint Laurent house and she's being shown the latest collection. And um, the head designer at the time, it was all pretty much like blacks and like really dark greens or really dark navies. And he's explaining this to Anna. He's like, I'm really into blacks. And, um, she just kind of like looks away and can't really handle it. But I love black. Um, I love just anything sparkly, you know, anything metallic, anything iridescent. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know about you, but I'm just finding lately, like I'm not really finding things that I love. Like maybe as we get older, we sort of do settle back into some kind of uniform i I loved having a uniform. I
2: love not having to pick what I'm wearing every day. I love celebrities work basically wearing the same thing all the time. Right. I think that's sort of my destination, but yeah. right now, my uniform is very basic it's a t-shirt and jeans I mean,
1: when you look at a lot of the fashion greats, like Anna, like Karl Lagerfeld, like Andre Leontali and his MooMoos, like <laughs> they all do sort of have this like code and this like uniform that they kind of stick to, and it is very alluring. But I get bored, you know, so like when I see something like a shirt or a dress that just like wows me well, and that feeling of wow like when you wear it is powerful and I think like there is something in fashion that gives me this boost like if I have a big show or like an important show I want to get something new to make me feel excited. Well
2: they always say that fashion is a great armor and divorce court. They always Divor- say that.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Specifically divorce court. Specifically. <laughs>
3: you don't know is that that sweater is not just blue, it's actually cerulean. In 2002, Oscar de la Renta did a collection of cerulean gowns and then cerulean quickly showed up in the collections of eight different designers and then it uh, filtered down through the department stores where you no doubt fished it out of some clearance bin and it's sort of comical how you think that you've made a choice that exempts you from the fashion industry when in fact... You're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room.
2: In a way, fashion is a lot like comedy. If you want to be good at it, you have to take the art seriously. Absolutely. Someone who takes fashion seriously but doesn't take herself too seriously is Carla Welch. Carla is one of the most powerful celebrity stylists in Hollywood. She's been working with Justin Bieber since 2011, and she is responsible for what she calls his full Hunter S. Thompson look.
1: She grew up in Powell River, BC, and got her start working with her photographer husband. And one assignment that had a huge impact not just on her own life, but on the culture at large, was the 2003 iPod campaign. Carla styled the dancing silhouettes in the commercial, which are still pretty iconic today. And she's been pretty politically
2: active through her art in the last few years. As an example of what that might look like on the red carpet, Carla dressed eight of her actress clients in black dresses for the Golden Globes in 2018 in support of Time's Up.
1: We talked to Carla about what an average day is like for a celebrity stylist.
0: It's it's quite a grind. I mean, and I don't think people realize how much like physical labor it is. I mean, am just I... rolling the racks. Oh and... God, <laughs> God, carrying the bags like. I probably get 500 emails a day. We're returning samples. We're doing fittings. Like, what's really interesting is in the celebrity world, we're in a bit of a reactive position. No, I don't like that dress. Okay, I'm going to get another dress. You know, so it's a a lot of collaboration and a lot of dealing with personalities rather than just your singular vision. So it is my vision for them, but it's really internalized and based on what I think their outward-facing look should be. You know, I'm helping them navigate their creative direction in, in through clothing.
1: There's so much fashion coming at us so mm-hmm. quickly now. How, what's your process in terms of staying up to date?
0: Well, I put in really long hours. I, As shows come in, I'm watching them. I keep a log. You know, I'm old school. I have a pen and paper that I, when I see the looks, I click on them on my phone, but then I write them down. So I'm thinking ahead of, like, the five press junkets we have coming up or the premieres or the film festivals. And I love designers. Like, I love fashion designers more than anything in the world. I mean, I love musicians too, but, like, (laughs) I think those are my favorite type of artists. So for me to see the work they're doing and then get to interpret it and bring it to life on someone is, like, it makes me giddy.
2: You worked with Feist. She's so enigmatic to me. I think her style is beyond clothing. I yeah, think her of style course. is like a total I was total Claire, style.
0: I'm like you're a quirky art teacher. <laughs> you know, what is so funny and interesting and I don't think Leslie would care if I said this. Like she came out to be such a superstar, right? And when the Grammys and we had all these amazing dresses, we had like the first Beaumont collection, you know, pre-Olivier and um it was so beautiful, and I had all these ideas. And she was like, I want to wear this dress that I bought at Goodwill. (laughs) I remember thinking, what the fuck? (laughs) You want to wear this dress you bought at Goodwill? (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm dying. But I was like, okay, let's tailor this size 12 dress down to your size zero body because she's super petite. But that's what she wanted to wear. And I realized that it was like a form of protection. And I realized I so wanted at that moment in my career – to be in the machine, to be, like, getting the fashion and putting my client in the fashion. And as she was starting, she was like, oh, my God, this machine's going to eat me up. And I'm obviously – I don't know those are her exact feelings, but, like, sometimes your clients need to hold on to a bit of themselves. Otherwise, the machine kind of can eat you up. Whereas now I realize I'm protecting my clients too, but I'm also – propelling them forward if that makes any sense at all no I it, does. it does but it's like it's like the little lessons you learn because now i realize how much of a protector my position is
2: you've worked with sarah paulson oh, i'm the such best. a fan of her work um, we've seen her in 12 years a slave in american horror story do you feel you had to help her find her true self through fashion
0: oh what a great question and yes you know when sarah came To work with me, well, we actually met on the night of the Met Ball, so it was the year she was in Twelve Years a Slave. So she was like, "People don't like my dress," and I never met her before. I was like, "Well, do you like your dress?" And she was like, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, I guess that's what matters." And I we still laugh to this day because we met at such an interesting time. It was like a real rising together. Like she was playing Marsha Clark, and all of a sudden was, you know, going to start winning everything and. Like, I told her when she came to me, like, I'm not going to give you 100 options. I'm going to give you the option. That's the option for you. I'm a very, like, directional stylist.
1: Do you feel like in that relationship there there's sort of this parallel between being a stylist and being a therapist?
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. We do create this really intimate, intimate world in our fittings and coming in and you see the confidence and the insecurities because these people are humans and they're going out to this kind of bizarre – situation and i'm giving them armor
1: it reminds me of bill cunningham when he said that fashion is the armor that we use to deal with everyday life Mm -hmm.
0: isn't that the truth yeah think of your favorite one-hit wonder
2: or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no
1: one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it
2: I want to go back to Powell River mm-hmm. um, where <laughs> okay. it all started. We're taking Yikes. you back, Harla. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this because your journey is very impressive. I, your dad had a clothing store at the time. Yes. yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I worked for my dad from a very, very young age. And that was always, it's funny if I think back, you know, I do you know what the CBC needs to bring back with the original host? Oh, I know what you're going to say. Baria. I know you're going to say. Okay. Were are we going there? That. Yes. Fashion File.
1: For people who don't know it, Fashion File was a Canadian show um, that took us behind the scenes of the fashion world at all the shows, and it was really our intro into fashion. And
0: what an intro! Tim Blanks, the premier fashion journalist, was our education. Like, it wasn't House of Style or any of that crap. It was <laughs> yeah. like, for real, For real learning. For real, exactly. And I think that's why I'm serious about it, you know?
1: When I, like, was reading your story, Carla, I thought, I don't know, I just had this image of, like, oh, my God, here's this kid in Powell River, marathoning fashion file, mm-hmm. and then cut to X years later, and you're actually, like, working with Cindy Crawford on a shoot.
0: I know. Like, how does that happen? I pinch myself daily,
2: we wanted to get a few style tips from you. Trenna and I are both comedians, and you work with Amy Poehler. Oh, my God. We, I the love The best yet. human on the planet. She's amazing. Comedians are not really known for their style. Should we be more um, daring in our style or personal style, or especially no. male comedians?
0: No, I mean, I feel like it's so... What makes you not think about what you're wearing? You don't want to, like, look <laughs> right. in the mirror 300 times. Or maybe you do because you're like, yeah, "This <laughs> look great. But for me, it's more of, like, what is, like, the ease mm-hmm. and take the, the stress away from it. But, I mean, comedians, know. I mean, if you want to dress crazy, sure. But I love classics
1: with my interest in fashion and like I feel like I've sort of nailed the basics of how I like to present myself visually Mm -hmm. but I just feel like I'm not taking things to that next level so I'm just curious for people that are working on really limited budgets like what are the little things that we can do that just elevate the look
0: I feel like a little accessories are always good and just find people style you kind of love and like emulate it a bit and there's no crime in that you don't have to be born like Kate Moss who like came out of the womb probably in a vintage, like, Dior dress. Like, you can <laughs> you can tweak with it.
1: So beyond your aesthetics, you're also known for your strong point of view in a political sense. In your vision of what you do, how is fashion related to activism?
0: Well, I just think it's it just happens to be the vessel that's my platform is fashion. I've always kind of shared my beliefs and stood up for what I believe in and wanted that to be a real big part of my life so it just so happens that I'm a stylist at the same time and I'm I'm very, very unafraid of using it and I I realize that even more so I can use it now and I use it as a place of leverage just how I speak up and who, who I choose to work with is a form of my activism. Is this yes. something
2: you talk about? Your Because you, you surround yourself with like the strongest women in Hollywood, yeah, right? totally. What do you talk about in this moment of Time's Up and Me Too?
0: Oh, we talk about it. We talk about it. I mean, I feel like since, you know, Trump was elected, we're in a battle right now. And I think we're sadly in this point of being exhausted and all this Stuff just keeps happening and happening and happening. And so we're getting ready.
1: But I think that idea of battle is definitely related to the idea of fashion being armor. And it's mm. sort of coming mm-hmm. back to that. And it's like we can, we need every boost we can get, even totally. if it comes from something that is seemingly superficial, but also comes with a lot of depth. Um, you
0: got to celebrate your joys, you know?
1: Exactly. And I feel like also through your work, you've also done things for groups of people that have sort of been marginalized or ignored in fashion, you know, like women over 40 and people who don't have, you know, that magazine body or sample Mm -hmm. size, what have you. What is even a magazine body at this point? I don't even know anymore. But do (laughs) do you think there's real change happening in fashion? Totally. You think it's real?
0: Yeah, I do think it's real. And I thank you. I feel very, like, proud that that's kind of been a cornerstone of what I've done and but I think I think it's changing. Listen, there's there are always going to be, you know, thin models. Of course, I just shot a campaign and it's all on models. And then we did do a whole other with like regular bodies, my body, plus size bodies, like every kind of size of stuff we're selling, we shot it on every type of girl. But it's just like diversity and fluidity and everything's changing. You know, I even liken it to like Pride. It was just Pride here in L.A. And it's everywhere And some people are like, oh, it's commercial. It's like, that's great that it's commercial because that means it's permeating mainstream culture. Till we'll get to the point where it's like, yeah, of course, you know, like, so I don't, I think change often doesn't come fast, but it comes. And I think we're in a place where it's not a fad anymore to care and not a fad to be diverse.
1: Right. So to wrap things up, Carla, we just want to throw a few style moments and trends and stuff at you and just get okay. like your immediate response if you're okay. down for it. Okay. okay. Of course. Jennifer Lopez's famous green Versace dress.
0: Iconic. Also, <laughs> shout out to Andrea Lieberman, like the OG celebrity stylist who paved our way. Yeah. One of my absolutely. heroes.
2: Yes. Celine Dion's fashion reinvention in the last three years.
0: I mean, I love it. I think her joy is so palatable and that obviously she probably emotionally came from so much, but that she has so much fun and is so over the top. Like she's such a diva, but like a Canadian diva. So it's OK.
1: Yeah. Madonna's eye patch.
0: I mean, <laughs> is she losing her balance? I don't know That's what's happening.
1: Question. I don't know, but it's um, it's something.
0: Well, we wouldn't have been here without her, but you know, I could live without the eye patch. Um, athleisure postage.
1: for people who don't work out.
0: I am not a fan of athleisure. <laughs> 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 but you know what? I love a really cute sweatpant. Like I wear these like really high-waisted vintage sweatpants and like I feel pretty sassy and cute in them, but I do not believe in like don't fucking wear yoga pants <laughs> unless you're going to yoga.
1: What about sequins?
0: <laughs> I love
1: yeah. I love Sometimes sparkle. I'm worried. Like, I'm, I'm always drawn to things that are sparkly. But sometimes you I'm sh- like, is this too, like, 80s? Is this no. too, like. No.
0: Find something sequin you love and mix it into your wardrobe. That's how you can take it to the next level.
1: Okay.
2: Done. Who's your ultimate style icon?
0: Denise Huxtable.
1: Mm. Oh, that's a Lisa good one. Lisa Bonet.
0: I lived for The Cosby Show, which probably isn't, like, the best thing. It's a sad thing to say, you know. I guess we're not allowed to say that anymore. But those were – I watched it every Thursday with my dad. And I lived to see what she was going to be wearing.
1: So at the end of the day, some people will say it's just clothes. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. What do you say to that? How does fashion matter or does it not?
0: It matters if it matters to you. You know, like I'm not going to ever poo-poo on someone because they don't have great style or they don't care. That's their they probably care deeply about other things and but for me it's my profession so I take it seriously but I also like to have fun with it like there's an an amazing boost you can get when you feel good about yourself and so if clothing helps then I'm here to help with that.
1: I'm on board. Me too. Well, (laughs) I've always been on board. I really believe in that power personally. Like it is transformative.
0: You know what? And I I would agree. Like I think if I could get anybody who's like maybe I'm not – I don't like clothes. I bet you I could get them to like clothes.
2: Carla, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Have Have a a great rest of the day. Thank
1: you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Celebrity stylist Carla Welch. You can follow her on Instagram at Carla Welch Stylist.
3: I feel my anxiety going up a little bit. It's a pretty imposing looking jungle. It's getting real. I'm really open to adventure and I have a rich life experience. For six years, I was in the Army National Guard as a medic. I'm also a dog musher, and I travel with my dogs to the Alaska bush. I've always been different. I definitely grew up just kind of not fitting in. I found refuge in nature and being outdoors because, honestly, it wasn't always so nice to be around other kids. Having survived that major life challenge gives me a pretty incredible reserve to do this challenge. 21 days, naked.
2: Trenna, can you imagine going off into the jungle and having to survive for 21 days all while naked in front of TV cameras?
1: (laughs) I'd last 10 minutes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's what Quince Mountain did on the reality show Naked and Afraid. He is the first openly trans person to take part in the show and in his daily life, he's also a writer and a dog musher. And so the premise of the show, basically, they pair two people up and they're left to survive naked in the jungle. That's a nightmare to no, me. Thanks. <laughs> and Hard his, pass. <laughs> his episode aired last month. And there are a few harrowing moments. His partner, Teresa, she leaves right away, um, not being able to cope with the conditions. And later, Quince has a bad toe injury and a freaking jaguar stalks him.
1: Do you think you could ever do it?
2: No. Nighttime anywhere outside the city is so terrifying to me. (laughs) Nature, suburbs, I don't care. If it's silent, I'm really afraid. So I wanted to talk with Quince and see if he could give me some tips. I called him up at home in Wisconsin. Hello. Quince, how are you?
3: I'm well Thomas. I'm just answering people's questions about chickens, so it's good to hear from you. Somebody's having trouble with an aggressive rooster and it turns out it's it's I'm I'm avoiding writing, uh, a little bit of writer's block, so uh, suddenly I feel really confident in my chicken expertise.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. I have to say, Quince, I'm a city gay guy and I'm terrified of nature. I'm terrified of animals, the night and you were uh, naked in the jungle for 21 days. How did you do it?
3: Because <laughs> it was so much less bad than other things. Like, I'm terrified of, like, the phone uh, <laughs> and email and <laughs> all kinds of things that weren't happening out there. I mean, having a jaguar stalking you, there's something wonderful about literalizing the metaphor. And when I've dealt with some things that are really uncomfortable or even dangerous, like chronic illness or transphobia or supporting a a partner who's going through trauma. There's something just nice and relieving about being able to, like, make sure your fire's bright and look out for jaguars. So, um, you know, I enjoyed it. Like, uh, out there, I could just kind of be naked in a really humid environment and watch my skin kind of fall to ribbons and nobody was bothering me.
2: We know you from, from Twitter. You have a, a great Twitter presence, but you're uh, mushing dogs most of the time. And on your Twitter bio, it says you were wrangling horses growing up. So nature is something that's been in your life for a long time. Is it, does it have like a healing quality to you?
3: I always felt, I mean, maybe you felt some of this, I don't know, but there's different ways for queer folks to feel marginalized from sports. I always felt like I was good at sports, but having been assigned female at birth, I wasn't like, you know. You could never be in
2: the right team.
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, that was really it
2: when i was watching the episode your partner teresa she leaves pretty quickly after four days five days
3: yeah something like somewhere
2: and you looked relieved i have to say were you relieved when she left
3: oh my god i was so relieved that's a good read thomas because people say i look scared but there's a bible verse in proverbs i mean i like really grew up really as a bible thumper that says it's better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a home with a quarrelsome wife and i felt that very much she was just so unhappy every you know from the first step she took it's like the rocks felt wrong and the whatever felt wrong everything felt wrong mm-hmm. um in theory it's wonderful to have a partner um out on a challenge like that but if the partner is so unhappy being there. I mean, it just takes up a lot of emotional energy and space. And it was like, just nice when she left. That said, I kept reminding myself that I'm really comfortable in the wilderness. This person isn't. And I'm afraid in another environment, such as my career, right? I can have all kinds of insecurities around my career. And if I'm taking those out, on my partner or on my friends because I'm crabby. I mean, it, it sort of made me realize what it feels like. It just helped me own my shit more, like um Teresa's experience there, because, I mean, she was just unhappy there. It wasn't her thing, and and it was clear that it was, like, my thing. I was made to do it.
2: <laughs> when she left, you weren't alone in the jungle because there was a crew. There there are people filming you.
3: Ah. <laughs> Thomas there isn't there isn't a crew out there <laughs> how <laughs> What's how your perception well, the perception like is I there's like there are producers
2: you you know they had to call the emergency at some point for your toe um there's a camera guy,
3: oh, you're assuming the camera person was a guy
2: I am was that was that a guy? <laughs> am I misgendering that person?
3: Sharon was an amazing oh,
2: character. I love it, thank you for that. Um, so what's that relationship? What are these interactions over the course of 21 days with these people?
3: The director of photography, Derek, was great. Chris was the assistant camera. He was great. Sharon was a shooter producer. Um, she's also incredible. So so there was a really good crew. Jeff did sound. But they're there from like 10 to 4. Like, oh. there would have been nobody to stop me from being eaten by a jaguar. Like, I, I had this, like emergency radio in a bag that I could use if, and I mean, if there was an emergency, I could get an uh, EMT or a doctor. But even that, like that person was like 10 minutes away. So, you know, two thirds of the time I was, I was by myself out there.
2: Oh, my God, that sounds so intense. But I think you looked kind of at peace in some moments, even though, you know, some 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 scary things happened. Were you afraid of how this would be edited? Because uh, you watched the episode with friends and family at a bar, right?
3: <laughs> I watched the episode for the first time with friends and family at a bar, and I had no idea what it would look like. Um, I was surprised in a couple of ways. Number one, I think... There were really some dramatic, you know, sort of socially dramatic moments between Teresa and me that they could have shown. I mean, at one point, she yelled at me for being an entitled asshole or something. And, uh, you know, I, I can't speak for the whole genre, but I thought they did pick 42 Minutes that told the story of our time there. And I was completely impressed.
2: I'm so terrified of nature, but I'm also just terrified of being naked in front of cameras. How do you feel with your body, with the idea of people caring or not caring about your body? Because we, we, we see your surgery scars, I mean, the minute you get naked at the beginning of the episode.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Trans guys are just this invisible thing, like sexually. We're neither an object usually nor a subject, right? So it's like women are sex objects a lot of the time. Men, on the other hand, are sex subjects, right? So they can decide or feel or whatever who they want and go after it, which is where I think, like, homophobia comes from, right? Like straight men or repressed men or whatever are, like, terrified of flipping into that territory from sex subject to sex object.
2: Do you think they're terrified, or do you think they secretly want it?
3: Well, (laughs) that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I grew up as somebody who was gendered female, but also, like, gendered butch lesbian. Like, I never outed myself to anyone. It's just, like, what people assumed about me, because when I got past the age where I could be, like, a tomboy, I just was still really masculine, so, you know, but I would still be read as female just based on my voice or based on having breasts or based on whatever it was, but I was never sort of sexually objectified in the way that I think a lot of women are. But also, you were you were
2: them. saying as a trans man you feel invisible, but do you, do you feel more visible now that you've been on Naked and Afraid?
3: Yes, I feel more visible as a trans man now that I've been on Naked and Afraid, and I think I guess I'm hoping that it increases visibility for all of us for a lot of trans men, while at the same time sort of decreasing the amount at which it matters or destigmatizing it. I don't know it's so weird in the Trumpocene era, like I'm really ready to emigrate.
2: I told you at the beginning, I'm a city guy, I'm a basic gay, I love my Starbucks. I need nature tips. How can I connect? And I'm being honest here. I want to. How can I connect with nature?
3: Uh, Oh, in nature's ears, it's outside whether you want it or not. Sometimes it even creeps inside. But I would love if you ever want to come with us on a dog sled run or something like that. I mean, come join us. Like, we would love nothing more. We're like the legendary, like, drug dealer. Like, we will give you your first dose for free (laughs) are you
2: telling me there's Uh, a dopamine high attached to dog sledding
3: just imagine the feeling of sort of going through this like very quiet because of the way the snow absorbs sound like tunnel of trees that are kind of covered in snow and the dogs are pulling you through and they're so happy and yes you're staring at a bunch of dog asses But they're so enthusiastic And they just want like Nothing more than to move forward They're not thinking about anything else Like occasionally they're yipping or something Or you'll see some wildlife But like it's such a quiet movement So I think you should come with us But you're also making me want to like Start a camp or something For (laughs) queer folks who like Didn't get to go outside a lot Or felt estranged from sports Or outdoor activities for whatever reason Like I'm really doing that right now
2: That would be lovely. Thank you so much, Quince. That was really, really inspiring.
3: Well, my pleasure. Thank you, Thomas. Thank
1: you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can follow Quince on Twitter at Quince Mountain. And also, you should really check out the New York Times article Quince wrote on his experience in the jungle. It's called Naked, Afraid, and Transgender, The Wilderness Couldn't Care Less. So Thomas, now you have an official invitation from Quince to go and join him in Wisconsin and dog mush or start that camp. Are you going to do it? I think the camp is a phenomenal idea. I would go, I would pack my bags and go
2: spend a week there and, and sort of like live with my fear of nighttime in the country. We'll go but together. like a summer
1: camp, no. There's, to me, there's nothing more traumatic or triggering than a summer camp or anything that resembles a summer camp experience. I'll
2: just post stories on Instagram for you. There won't
1: be any Wi-Fi there. You'll be really alone. Imagine not being on social media. <laughs> oh my God. Chosen Family is produced by me, Thomas LeBlanc. And me, Trana Winter. Our talent producer on this episode was Catherine Stockhausen. Our editor-producer is Crystal Duhame. And our music is by The Lost Boys. Judy Gu is our digital producer. Tanya Springer is the senior producer of CBC Podcasts. And Arif Nirani is the executive producer. Check out our Instagram at CBC Podcasts and give the account a follow.
2: Also, Trina just wrote a great piece in The Walrus that came out this week. The title is The Impossible Beauty Standards for Transgender Women. Be sure to look it up.
1: Also, join our Facebook group. Don't send us DMs. If you want to talk to us about the show,
2: join the Facebook group. Chosen Family is a CBC podcast originally developed in association with Fi Studio. Listen to Chosen Family wherever you get your podcasts.
1: For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.